I am going to the book of 1 Samuel, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy, uh, chapter 6. My, my focus has been so much for the last four months on the historic and poetic books that Samuel is in my brain. But I'm going to 1 Timothy, chapter 6. And um, I, I'm going to read one verse of Scripture and we'll elaborate for a little bit in its context because its context is, is also the context of where we live today. Amen. So First uh, Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 12. Paul writes to, uh, to this young preacher. And um, he said, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Fight the good fight of faith. And that is my subject this morning. Fight the good fight. Amen. Because whether you, whether you want to believe it or accept it or not, the day that the Lord redeemed you, you entered into a fight. Now, you have got two options in the fight. It's either fight and win... Or don't fight and be defeated. Amen. One or the other. But in this, in this context, Paul seemingly does not give Timothy a choice. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Timothy, you have got to fight. Amen. And that is the message for today. We have got to fight the good fight of faith. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. It's a constant battle. You are in a constant battle. Every redeemed man and woman across the face of this earth is in a constant battle right now. That battle is against the flesh. That battle is against the devil. And that battle is against the resistance of the fallen world that loves sin and error and hates truth and holiness. But this battle is not just a battle against flesh or the devil or against the the world and when I talk about the world in this context this morning I'm not talking about the inhabitants of the world I am talking about a a demonic system a global system that is in opposition to the kingdom of God and everything connected with God and His Word. 
So again, the, the, the constant battle is not just against the flesh or the devil or against the world system, but, but we also struggle with lethargic Christians and apathetic churches. We struggle there because, because when everybody is not doing what God intended for us to do, then uh, the struggle becomes harder on each individual. And so we struggle with lethargy. We struggle with, with apathy. And Paul, in, in, in a different writing to Timothy, told Timothy to suffer hardship with me. Endure hardness, Paul said, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We talked some about endurance, perseverance in, in our earlier session uh, today. But Paul encourages Timothy to endure hardness. Don't, he, what he's saying is you don't give up. You don't, you don't get out of the fight because things get hard. You, you don't turn your back on the struggle and find some easier way of life because, not just because of hardness in, in the soldiering process. He said endure it. That word endure be, means to come under the burden of it. You, come, you shoulder the load is, is in essence what Paul is telling this young Timothy. Shoulder the load, Timothy, of the fight that we are in. Shoulder the load of the hardship that you are going to experience as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. The, the Apostle Paul's own epitaph reads, and he wrote his own epitaph to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 and 7. He said, I have fought a good fight. Paul said, there's a fight that I have fought. My fight has been a good fight. I have fought the good fight. It's this fight that Paul is encouraging Timothy to fight. It's the good fight that Paul is encouraging by extension the body of Christ to fight today. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith, Paul said. Amen. So in this fight, you know, you, you see the struggles and you, you see the opposition of the world, the system of the world. You know the opposition that you experience in your own flesh. We, we understand the conflict and the opposition that we have against the adversary of our soul. And we look around at, at, the, at all of the things that is, that is happening today. And sometimes we can have a question. And the question will arise is in, in the hour that we live. What is it that the church is supposed to do? Amen. In the face of all of the sin and degradation that's being promoted. And, and, and being forced upon the lives of people. What is the church to do today? day in the face of that well I've got the answer for you and the answer comes in one word you've got to fight 
Amen. You've got to stand against. You've got to be in opposition. Amen. Of the, of the advances of the world system and of the, the satanic in, in the bombardment of the people's minds. The body of Christ has one option today and that option is to fight the good fight of faith. Fight. That's your option. Fight. When Paul told Timothy to fight, it was an imperative. It was a command, not an option. Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. When Paul told him to fight, Paul is telling him to compete. Son, you're in a struggle. And you have got to struggle. And the emphasis on the word fight that Paul uses here, it is, has an emphasis of own effort with an emphasis on the word effort. Amen. Can I tell you something this morning? If you fight the good fight of faith, you've got to put forth an effort to, to get him to fight and to struggle and to compete. But you've got to put the effort to fight. Paul said it like this to the church at Corinth. He said, every man that striveth for the mastery. Again, the emphasis is on effort. You must make an effort. Amen. Can I tell you something? There, is, there are no passive fights. There are no passive fights. No passive fights. You have got to make an effort. You've got to get in the conflict. You've got to get in the struggle. You've got to get in there and compete. Amen. Not compete from the, from the sense that we're, we're looking for some kind of trophy or something. But I'm going to tell you, this struggle is to the death. Amen. You, you have a choice of spiritual victory or spiritual death. But if you attain the victory, Paul said, if you strive for the mastery, you've got to make an effort. You've got to put the effort in to fight against the forces of this world. But effort here is not some lazy, half-hearted notion or motion just to be able to say, I tried. You know, you ever seen anybody in a fight that they didn't want to be in a fight? But they, they, were, they were afraid you know, to get out of the fight. But they're not going to put forth much of, an, much of an effort in the fight. It's just a show of motion. Just a show of motion. Just to, just to say that I was in the struggle. I was in the fight. You know, I was, I was there. I, I, was, I, I, was, it, it, I was in the fight. But there was no effort that was involved. And, and, and consequently, amen, if there's no effort involved, there's certainly not going to be a victory. Amen. And I'm going to tell you, when I got into this fight 47 years ago, I got in it to win. Not to lose. Amen. That's why I put forth every effort that I have to stay in it and to fight the good fight of faith. 
That's why I pray. That's why I fast. That's why I live for God. That's why I study the Word of the Lord. Amen. In depth, hour after hour. I didn't get in this thing just to give half-hearted effort. I got in it to win. Amen. And to overcome the adversary. And to do that, you have to put forth effort. 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 It requires effort. But again, the, the effort here is, is not some half-hearted, half-hearted, ineffectual motion just to be able to say, I tried. You've got to give me an E for effort because at least I tried. The idea here is that you put everything you have into the fight. Amen. I, I used to, in, in years past, I, I used to be a, a fan of boxing. You know, and if there was a good box, I didn't watch just any boxing. I, you know, I, I had my favorites. You know, I, I, I used to enjoy, you know, watching Larry Holmes, the, the heavyweight boxing champion of the world. I used to enjoy watching Larry Holmes fight. And, and, and people like Evander Holyfield. And they, they, they were fighters. They, they were heavyweight champions. And, and, and they were fighters. And, and, and sometimes, you know, those guys were, they, they were so big and they were so strong. That, that when they get into it to a ring and, and, and they start fighting the opponent and they start throwing those punches and, and throwing those jabs and throwing those uppercuts and, you know, with, with their strength and, and with the size of some of those men, it looked like that, that there really wasn't a whole lot of effort going on sometime, but, but they'd get that uppercut. And all of a sudden, you know, you, you don't see a lot of motion going on, but at the opportune time, there comes that uppercut. And you don't see a whole lot until you see the opponent's head jerk back and his back splattered on the canvas and he's down for the count. Amen. And, and, but then there was those other guys. Those other guys that they weren't heavyweights. People like Carlos Palomino. People like uh, uh, Ray Boom Boom Mancini. And, and people like Ray, uh, or Sugar Ray Leonard. You know, who were, who were not big, massive, like, like the heavyweights. But I'm going to tell you something. Those men had the heart of a champion. Because you saw the struggle with every punch that was thrown. You saw the effort with every uppercut. And every jab and every hook. Amen. Everything. And buddy, they'd come out of there. And they'd come out with their hands raised in victory. Winning one more fight. But they looked like they were the loser. Because eyes are swollen. Lips are busted. You know, cut across the eye. You know, the bruises that come with, with, with enduring that intense of a fight. And eyes that are swollen and, and, and they're raising their hands in, in victory. And they, and they look like they have been, you know, in, in some kind of massacre somewhere. The reason they can lift their hands in victory with a smile on their face with eyes that are, that are swollen, cuts on their head, 
Amen. Swollen lips, bruised ribs, kidneys that's going to feel the effect of the punches for days and possibly weeks. They can raise their hands and and say, you know what? I won because I gave it every ounce of strength that I've got. I put forth the effort. I didn't come in here to play. I didn't come in here just to throw a few punches and get knocked out by the adversary. I came in here with the mindset to put everything I've got, every ounce of effort that I've got. I came in here to fight a good fight. I didn't come here to get knocked out because this is a fight. This ain't professional wrestling. Any of you ever seen professional wrestling? Come on now, tell the truth. You know, if you lived in South Alabama on Saturday, you watched professional wrestling. Amen? At least from the southeastern section of Alabama. You know, people like Don Carson and Dick Dunn, they were the local favorites. Mr. Wrestling, number one and number two. And then there come to town this great, big, old, tall, stinky man called Andre the Giant. And then there was this other man that he didn't start out this way, but but you know you know him. You know, the Hulkamaniac. And I'm gonna tell you something, brother. When Hulkamania runs wild on you. So he didn't start that way. And I remember when they came to our section of the state, you know, you could go and for free and watch the TV taping. It was going to be shown later on Saturday evening for free just to have a studio audience. I remember that seven foot three or four man by the name of Andre the Giant steps over the top rope and those spotlights start producing heat and bearing down. And Terry Boulder, who became Hulk Hogan, stepped in that ring and those two dudes locked up and they got to sweating, carrying on. All of that kind of stuff. See, all of that has a predetermined end. See, when they crawl in the ring, they already know who's going to win and who's going to lose. And, And if you watch them real closely, there's communication. You know, between the opponents in the ring itself, you know. And and I and I remember this old this big old dude, this big old bodybuilding African American guy by the name of Tony Atlas. Buddy, Tony Atlas had muscles. I think Tony Atlas had muscles behind his eyelids. And he was bulging everywhere. And he'd flex those muscles in the ring. And he'd get to punching those guys. And they're flying all over the ring and all of this kind of stuff. It, it, it all had a predetermined end. And the referee's part of the plan. Watch them very closely. You ever been to a professional wrestling match? Yeah, me too. Me too. And you get to looking up close and all those haymakers that they're throwing, they're not landing. 
If, if, if they were putting that kind of beating on those people, they'd have to tear them out in a stretcher. They, they know exactly how to hit. They'll ball up that fist. But that fist is not closed. Ball up that fist and, and, and they'll try to jack somebody's jaw, but their wrist lands on their shoulder. And buddy, they act like I've just been knocked haywire and loony and all of this kind of, oh, I'm just about to die. And they see, all, all of that is predetermined. They're communicating with one another in the ring. You, you see it. They got them down on the mat and they'll get down on them like they're choking them to death. But you watch them looking at the crowd and they're talking. You know, the next move is going to be that flying mare now, you know, coming off that rope over there because we got to finish this. And the referee, he's doing all of this, you know, to them, you know, all doing all of this. He's letting you know this match has got one more minute. You need to finish it. This match got two more minutes. You need to get, get on that finishing move. They already, they already know it's predetermined. All of that. And I've seen wrestling matches that, you know, somebody just act like they didn't want to fight. So they just get in the ring and they just lay down and let the other one pin them. Three and that's it. It's over. Predetermined end. Can I tell you something? The fight that you are in today has a predetermined end under one condition. That you fight. And you put forth the effort to fight. Otherwise, the only other predetermined end it is, is spiritual defeat. Spiritual failure. Amen. And I, I didn't get in this thing again. To lose. And I, I, didn't, I didn't enter into this thing, you know, in a professional wrestling match. Amen. That the blows are softened. I'm telling you, sometimes the devil jacks your jaw and it hurts. Amen. There's pain there. There's a bruise. But I'm telling you right now, you got to put forth the effort to, to fight and fight the good fight of faith because we're in a struggle to win. This is for my survival. This is for my eternal life that Paul said to lay hold on eternal life. How do you do it? You do it by entering to fight and putting forth the effort to win. The word strive has to do with intensity and effort. It's the, it is the idea of a desperate effort and struggle. The people of God must engage in a desperate struggle for eternal life. Jesus said, and Luke recorded the words in Luke chapter 13 and verse number 24. He said, strive to enter in at the straight gate. Strive to get there. The word strive is used because you have opposition to eternal life. And we need to understand that because if we're not careful, we, we, can, we can develop a life and a lifestyle like there is no opposition out there. Amen. But I'm telling you right now, the devil is real and the devil is strong and the devil is powerful. Amen. Amen. One of the, re one of the reasons are, are questions that could be asked in those historical and poetic books that I taught all semester. One of the questions was, arise is Satan really real I'm telling you he's real and he's alive right now 
And buddy, he's not, he's not in a professional wrestling match. He's in a fight for your spiritual survival. He's in a fight to defeat you. The enemy, Jesus said, cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. And, but Jesus said, I am come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus never said you would not struggle to lay hold on eternal life. Because again, He said you've got to strive, strive to enter in the straight gate, that narrow way. You've got to strive to get there. Because you have an enemy. You have opposition. That would try to keep you out of there. So you've got an enemy. You've got an adversary whose goal is for your, uh, for, whose goal for you is eternal death. That's the reason Peter writes to the church and he says, you need to be sober. You need to be vigilant. Because your adversary, somebody say adversary. adversary. The devil. The devil. Your adversary is the devil. Your adversary is not your brother or sister. Your, your adversary it is not the governor. Your adversary is not the president of the United States. Your adversary is not Congress. You say, well, they're not doing anything for our nation. Your adversary is not the government. Your adversary, Peter identifies, is the devil. Is the devil. Worldly governments are nothing but a tool of the adversary to come against the people of God. Your fight is not with Joe Biden or Kamala Harris. Your, your fight is not with Dick Durbin. Your fight is not with Ted Cruz. Your fight is not with anybody in the halls of this nation's Congress. Your fight is strictly with the adversary of your soul. Amen. They can be nothing but tools of the adversary if God so desires. But your adversary is the devil who's roaming to and fro. And Peter said, he's seeking. You know what he's doing? He's looking. He's looking. He's seeking whom he may devour. That's why you've got to fight. That's why you've got to struggle. Because your adversary, the devil, he's not passive. Amen. He's not passive. And he's not afraid of a redeemed man or woman. Amen. That puts forth no effort in the fight. Can I tell you something? If you're not praying... And I mean praying. I'm talking about intense prayer. I'm talking about periodic intercession. If you're not praying, the devil's not worried about you one bit. If you're not fasting, keeping your flesh under subjection to the Spirit and the Word of God, your adversary is no more concerned about you than, than Andre the Giant was concerned about Terry Boulder. Because they're not physical adversaries. They're going to get in the back room. They're going to get in the locker room. And, and they're going to plot the next fight. 
that's going to be down the road in some other town, in some other location. They're going to start talking strategy. I'm telling you, Satan is not in a professional wrestling match today. He is in a fight, and the fight is for your life. It's for your, your, your eternal destiny. It's for your eternal life. He roams about seeking whom he may devour. That word devour has to do with total annihilation. I'm going to tell you something right now. If the devil could kill you physically, he'd do it. He'd do it. If God gave him permission to kill you physically, don't you think he would hesitate for one moment to take you out of here to drop of a hat? He's after your demise. He is seeking whom he may devour. So laying hold on the prize of eternal life is the struggle. Eternal life is the goal for which the people of God are fighting. An old commentator by the name of Matthew Henry made this statement. He said those who get, who, those who get to heaven must fight their way there. Did you hear what the old, old 19th century commentator said? Those that make it, those that get to heaven, you're going to have to fight your way there. It's not going to be some walk in a city park, but it's going to be a fight day after day after day. And again, that's why Paul told Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Get in the struggle, Timothy. Get in that fight. Those that get to heaven must fight their way there. There must be a conflict with corruption and temptations and with the power of darkness. There's got to be that conflict. There's corruption out there. Corruption out there. That's what we're fighting the, the, the spirit behind the corruption. That's what we're in conflict with. The spirit behind the corruption. And the power of darkness. So fight, you must. Amen. Fight, you must. You must fight. Paul called this fight a good fight. Fight the good fight of faith. We, we have been taught that, that fighting is bad. It's a bad thing. Our parents have taught us not to fight with our siblings. Or at least mine did. Didn't always heed the teaching. But they taught us not to fight. Why? That's your brother. Why do you want to fight your brother? Well, because he's a knothead. Well, that ain't reason to fight. You don't fight your brother, even if he is a knothead. Which he's not. But if he was, you don't fight your brother. So we were taught not to fight our siblings. We were taught not to fight at school. We were taught don't fight the neighborhood boys and 
The list could go on and on. Bottom line is we've been taught, don't fight. Fighting is bad, they said. But Paul told Timothy that there is a fight that is a good fight. Well, amen. Amen. He taught Timothy that there is a fight that is a good fight. And the word that Paul uses for this good fight, that the word good translates or is translated into the word noble. It's a noble cause. It's a noble fight. It, it's a noble that the cause is a noble cause. It's a good cause. Amen. I remember, I remember some time ago that there was there was a there was a lad that was sent to the front lines of the army or, or what was supposed to be a battle by his dad with cheese and bread to check on the welfare of his brothers. And they accused him. What are you doing here? Where's the little sheep that you've been entrusted with? And, and I know why you have came here. You came here to see the gore. You just want to see the blood and the guts. You want to see the severed limbs. You want to see the detached heads that's laying on the battlefield. That's why you're here. That's why you're here. And he hears the roar of the giant Goliath that says, send me a man. And David said, I'll go. But you're not battle hardened. You've been not been tested in battle. And David has has an answer, a response in the form of a question. Is there not a cause? What David was saying is there's a reason to fight. And if you're not going to fight him, I'll fight him. There's a reason to fight him. I'm going to tell you something right now. We've been, we've, we've been taught, you know, as, as physical, as, as physical fights. You know, physical fights are not, are, are not always, always the best to do. But let me tell you, there does come a time to fight because there are noble causes. There are good causes. Another word for that word good is excellent. And let me tell you, there's reasons to fight. There's reasons to fight. Amen. And the Bible gives us reasons to fight. Not against one another. And I may, if the Lord allows, I may preach a message next week that there are some things worth fighting for. And Paul told Timothy again, fight the good fight. This excellent, this noble, this noble fight. There is a noble cause, amen, for you to fight and you to, you to exert every ounce of effort and energy that you have in this fight. There's a reason, Timothy, that this is a good, this is not a bad fight. This is not a fight just because somebody said the wrong thing to you, but there's a noble cause. There's a good reason to fight. Amen. I don't advocate fighting today as far as in the physical. But there, there are good reasons to fight. There are good reasons to fight. 
And it's not because somebody called my mama a bad name. My mama's been called bad names before. Or it's not because somebody called me the son of a bad name mama either. That's not a cause to fight. It's not a reason to fight. It's not a fight, not, not, a, not, not a reason to fight because, you know, somebody called my daddy a, a dog. You know, or, or whatever. It's not, not a reason to, to fight for somebody to call me some kind of slur. You know, against me. But there are noble causes. There are noble causes to fight. And one of those causes is your salvation. It is your salvation. Because you're in a daily struggle. You're in a daily fight. You're constantly fighting the flesh. You're constantly fighting the devil. And you're constantly fighting the world system. That is in opposition against God. And Paul said, this fight, Timothy, is a good fight. And he called it the good fight of faith. And we'll talk about that faith maybe at another time. But he said, you know what, Timothy, there's a reason to fight. There's a cause to fight. And there is a time to fight. And I've come to tell you this morning, if there has ever been a time... That you are to fight the forces that is coming and bombarding the church. The time is right now. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Get a hold of it. Get a hold of it. Lay hold on eternal life. But in order to do that... You have got to fight the good fight of faith. It's a struggle. It's a struggle. It's a struggle. You know, old South Alabama term sometimes in the form of a question. You ever had your jaw jacked? We used to tell people with kids, you know, if you're not careful, I'm gonna I'll jack your jaw. Every once in a while, me and my wife get to get to messing around. And, you know, she'll do something. I say, "You better be careful, woman. I'll jack your jaw. I mean, I'll lay you out. I'll stretch you out in the shade. I'll jack your jaw." Now, I wouldn't. I never have. We've been married forty-three years, and I, I don't guess I'm gonna start now. I've had my jaw jacked before. Come away with a sore jaw. But you know, as, as kids, I've also jacked a few jaws too. And I would, I would say that not for noble reasons either. I remember the first threat of a fight that I ever had. I was in the, four, in, in the first grade. Me and, me and a friend of mine by the name of Bobby Legier, we lived in some apartments in Dothan. And, and Rose Hill Elementary School was about three or four blocks from where we lived, four, five, six blocks maybe. 
from where we live. We walked to school. And Bobby Legere lived behind us in, in apartments. And he'd come by our, our house or our apartment. And we'd walk to school together. And we'd walk home together. You know, and, and uh, in that first grade, you know, I had, a, I, had a, I had a little girlfriend. Her name was Gracie. She was a cute little thing too. And I, I really liked Gracie. Gracie acted like she liked me too. And so one day I'm walking home and, and uh, some little old boy, I walk up on this encounter and some little old boy is picking on, on my Gracie. And I didn't like that, not a little bit. And I, and I told that boy, I said, if you don't leave her alone, I am fixing to whip your... And you can fill in the blank. Bobby, my friend, Bobby took off like a bolt of lightning. Boom! And I thought, where's he going? He's running towards our, the, the apartments just as fast as his legs would carry him. We didn't have that fight. Because that boy, I guess he detected I was serious about Gracie. But see, when I get home and I round the corner and I see my mama standing behind the screen door, looking out the door and waiting for me to get home. And when when I get up close enough, I look and my mama's got a switch in her hand. And I thought, why she got that switch? What I didn't know at the time is that when Bobby Legere shot away from there like a rocket, when I told that little boy if he didn't leave Gracie alone, I was going to whip his... He went home and told my mama every word that I said. And she's waiting behind the screen door with a switch. And I'm going to tell you, my mama didn't consider the nobility of my cause. She, she didn't consider the fact that I had a good reason to fight if it came down to that. She, she, didn't come, she, she didn't understand that this fight would have been an excellent fight. She didn't take that into consideration at all because her focus was on one little word that was there. And I got a beating, not because my cause was noble. I got a beating because of that one little three-letter word that he had to pick out of the whole conversation and run home and tell my mama. But after I got that whipping, I still came away from there saying, I had an excellent cause because he was he was threatening my Gracie and you don't threaten my Gracie well Gracie didn't last long and 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 there were others you know that came down the pike and others that went
all of whom at the time I would have fought for because the cause was noble. But see, in the fight that we're in this morning is the most noble, the most excellent fight that you could ever find yourself in. And it's not because somebody was threatening Gracie. It's because somebody is threatening your eternal salvation. And Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Get it. Get it. Get it. And the only way that you're going to get it. In fact, Paul and Luke recorded the words in the book of Acts. He said, it is through great tribulation that we enter into this life. Paul was saying, it's a struggle to get in and it's a fight to stay in. Because once you determine to repent of your sins, there's, there's going to be adversary. There's going to, there's going to be adversarial opposition. The adversary is going to start coming against you. And once you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and you have been filled with His Spirit, the struggle doesn't stop. The struggle sometimes intensifies because He don't want you going to heaven. He wants you to go to the hell that was made for the devil and his angels. That place that he's going to be damned and condemned to for all of eternity when everything is all said and done. He wants you there with him and he'll do everything in his power to get you there. Amen. Timothy, fight. Timothy, fight. You want to see your children saved? You're going to have to fight for your kids. You want to see your loved ones saved? You're going to have to fight for your kids. You can't damn and condemn them at every turn and expect them to turn their heart to God. You better get on your knees and go to war for your children. Because I'm telling you, some of you have backslidden children that needs to come back to God. And as long as you keep harping on them and hammering them, it's not going to happen. But if you get on your knees and you say, you know what, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight this fight. This is a noble cause. This is a struggle. I'm going to give every ounce of effort. I'm going to be as intense as I have ever been in any fight of my life. Because there are souls at stake. And yours is one of them. Your kids are one of them. Your spouses are one of them. And it's going to take the intensity of the struggle to pull them out of the fires of hell so that they will have a chance to be saved. It's a good fight. It's an excellent fight. And it's a noble fight. But fight you must. Fight you must. So go through the process. Tape your hands so that they're not broken. Tape your hands. Lace up your boots and crawl through the ropes of the ring. Not for a professional wrestling match, 
but the, for, for the fight of your spiritual existence. Because you're going to have to put forth every effort in the fight to survive. How do you know that? Jesus said in one place, unless the days be what? Shortened. The very elect won't even be saved. He's going to shorten the days. But that doesn't mean that you're not going to have to fight and exert every ounce of effort in this noble cause and in this noble and excellent struggle. You're going to have to fight. So fight the good fight of faith. Amen. Amen.